My name's Jay Philippi, and I've spent my life in and around the media. TV, radio, the movies, and more. I love them, and I hate them, and I always have an opinion. Call this The View from the Flip Side. Here we go into a new year, and that's a good time to remind ourselves about staying safe on the internet. That may seem like old news, but the reality is that the scammers keep running their nefarious plots because people keep falling into them. One of the things that always sets off my warning bells and buzzers is when I get an email notice telling me that it's time to fix, change, or update one of my accounts. Now, more often than not, there is a legitimate reason for it, and the notice is coming from the service it says it is. But all it takes is one slip, and I could be struggling with some or all of my personal information being exposed. So my rule of thumb is simple. I never, never click on the link in the email. In the last two weeks, I've gotten notices from Apple, from Google, and from eBay with various issues they wanted me to correct. I went directly to my account and I dealt with the issues there. Two of them were routine, no big deal. The third was that my Apple ID was locked for some reason, and I dealt with that as well. Nice and safe and secure. It's not paranoia if they really are out to get you. And on the interwebs, there are people out to get us all. It's important to keep an eye out for the latest attempts as well. The Federal Trade Commission released a warning last week about a new phishing scam that pretends it's from Netflix. The email claims that there's an issue with your payment information and that your account is on hold until you correct the issue. All you have to do is click that link and all can be made well. Ah, ah, ah! The folks at the FTC remind us that most phishing scams are easy to spot if you know what you're looking for. Are the grammar and spelling bad? Do they not use your name, or is it wrong? Beware of international phone numbers for U.S. companies or word choices that aren't right either. In the Netflix scam, the bad guys used U.K. spellings for some words rather than the U.S. spelling. The Internet can be a grim and gritty place. Curiously, one of the best ways to make sure you enjoy the best of the web is to carry a little bit of healthy suspicion with you at all times. You've probably heard several stories recently about 1923 and the public domain. You may be wondering why this is all such a big deal. It begins with copyright, which are the laws that protect the works of creators. These laws vary from country to country. In the United States, any original work of authorship, which are in some tangible form, ranging through music, literature, drama, art, or any other intellectual form, published or not, has protection. That means you need to have permission and might have to pay for the right to use someone else's copywritten work. U.S. law on the subject dates back to 1790, based on English law from 1710. But copyright protection only lasts for so long. Exactly how long it lasts is a complicated issue, because Congress has changed the rules several times in the last 50 years. It may be as little as 70 years after the death of the creator, or could stretch as long as 120 years after the creation of works for hire. However long the protection lasts, the work eventually moves into the public domain. That means anyone can use it without permission or fee. So why doesn't the creator and or their heirs retain the rights forever? 
because in the end, our culture and economy benefit from general access to these works. Let's take an example, Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. Yes, I'm aware it's from before the first copyright law, but let's use it for the sake of discussion. If this remained in the estate of William Shakespeare in perpetuity, all works inspired by the story, the ballets, the movies, the books, the songs, etc., might not have been created. If the estate decided not to license the use or placed an exorbitant price on the license, those works would have disappeared. Instead, we have an enormous number of works that grew from the original. When I googled the phrase, works based on Romeo and Juliet, it returned 105 pages just of titles of plays, films, and ballets. Beyond that, there is the historical value of being able to copy materials without cost. Because we were not able to find the copyright owners of many films from the 1910s and 20s, we lost most of those orphan films. The law prohibited curators and historians from restoring them. Now, the original film has disintegrated. In the end, we all benefit from works moving into the public domain. So we should greet the news that things are leaving copyright again with open arms. Let's get 2019 off to a proper start, and that means we'll kick off the year with a proper rant. My father and I shared a great many things. I look and sound a lot like him. There was a shared love of travel and cooking and the movies. That last category was also the source of one of our most persistent disagreements. I got my love of the movies from the old man, and I love the old movies every bit as much as I do today's. Of course, many of those old movies were the ones he had grown up watching, and he had watched most of them in black and white. And that is where the disagreement rose. In the early days of cable television and video recording, some bright young mind discovered the ability to bring color to the black and white world. Now, that wasn't a new concept. Hand-tinting photos and even movies went back a century before this wave. But many of the early efforts in the modern day were catastrophes, Colors bled around people or objects creating halos. Plus, there were the more famous mistakes, like making Frank Sinatra's famous blue eyes brown. And so the question of colorization divided father and son. It may surprise you that he was all in favor of the idea, and I rejected it utterly. I still do. So I was outraged to discover that the folks at CBS have been colorizing classic television series from their catalog. That includes annual Christmas episodes of I Love Lucy. This year, they also offered up two episodes of The Dick Van Dyke Show. And I am wroth, beside myself with anger. First, because it's a dumb idea. Here's something a lot of people don't know. When shooting in black and white under studio lights, sometimes the colors of the set or costume are altered so that they show up properly on film or on tape. The original producers paid people to make the show look right in black and white. So it's not like you're going to see the real colors of Laura Petrie's capri pants. You're going to get a guess by the colorizer. But the most important refutation is put forward by media columnist Adam Buckman, who asks, Is comedy funnier in color? I cannot imagine anyone saying that it is. These shows are all about funny. If it doesn't improve the show in that manner, then why mess around with them? Whatever flaws they have will not be corrected by adding color. Call that The View from the Flip Side. The View from the Flip Side is written and produced by Jay Philippi. You can follow this program on Twitter at Radio Flipside or visit our website at viewfromtheflipside.com. 